I don't know if this surprises you. It kind of surprises me. We are living in a smart time. If I were to tell you these two initials, AI, do you know what that means? Artificial intelligence. And we tend to be living in a smart time. However, I'm not sure I'm getting any smarter. Maybe you are, but we have things like smart cars. I have a vehicle now that will tell me when I need to stop and get some coffee. I don't know if Debbie has programmed it that way or not, but it has a tendency to be able to think even when I can't. We have smartphones, that's what they call them. Today when we left the house, Debbie's phone told her that we were 10 minutes away from Beaumont Drive. And I'm thinking, how in the world did it know where I was going? I don't know, but I think she programmed it that way to make me a little crazy. There are smart TVs. Our TV went out about three weeks ago. We had that big storm and lightning hit and whatever. It took me about three days to program my TV. And if it wasn't for the help of a friend and three or four calls to the customer service and other people, finally we got our smart TV almost kind of figured out. There are smart um, phones. Now, if you've been to any of the, um, um, the parade of homes, there are some houses out there that are smarter than you can imagine. They can turn things off, turn things on. They can make things happen. It's just a weird time. There are smart appliances. And I read this week of a smart suitcase now that will follow you around the airport. However, it's not that smart because it can't do stairs or escalators yet. You have to pick it up and carry it like a little dog, but it will show you its smartness. And there's a candy out there called what? Smarties. And I think the deal is if you eat a bunch of those, you can catch up to the smart world that we live in. I have a friend who uh, has done some battle with the cable companies here in Evansville. Liked one, didn't like it, switched. Went back to the other one, didn't like it, switched. Anyhow, after about his fourth switch, he called the cable company to switch one more time. And the salesperson on the other end of the line said, well, welcome home, welcome back. And they made the switch one more time. And you know, I was thinking when he told me that story, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if we could do the same thing to our marriages? Just call the customer service and get it all straightened out, or maybe if we could do the same thing, if there's a little, a little rip in our family and, and things aren't going the way it ought to go in the family, if we could just make one more phone call to that customer service family issue and hammer it out. Wouldn't it be nice if our business, our finances, our health could be dealt with that quickly? And I don't know if you think about this, but I, I wonder if our spiritual life, our, our, our journey, our spiritual walk could be handled that quickly. Now, when it comes to that, I think that can be. And as we continue our study of the book of Psalms, Psalms 85 today, I want you to understand that even though David was going through a rough time, he understood how to get back on track spiritually. And probably there are some here today who have been on or off track spiritually a time or two. Have you ever drifted? You know, you just found yourself going through the motions or, or, or maybe just uh, uh, here but not here. 
I have a friend right now who is drifting spiritually. He says he has wandered away. And because of his awayness, because of his drifting, he is suffering from some bad choices. And he's paying the price for the consequences of his drifting. So I got to ask you, you ever drifted? You ever maybe not been quite as close to Jesus that you used to be? Or maybe you have locked in? I know that there are probably some here today who are closer to Jesus than they've ever been in a long, long time. But I know that there are probably some here today who are are drifting. And because of their awayness, they are angry. They are angry with themselves. They are angry with their friends and family. They are angry at God because of their separation. These people are usually pretty judgmental. They are legalistic. They tend to develop sometimes a holier-than-thou kind of attitude or an attitude like, I just don't need that at all. Constantly looking to convince themselves that they are better off without certain things in their life. So they begin to bend and they compromise and they bend and they compromise and before they know it, they have drifted. For most of us, most of the times, this awayness, this drifted nature doesn't just happen. Sometimes it does, but usually there's a process that we go through, and before we realize it, we are drifted away, and we are just trying to find ourselves again. And we usually get caught up in the moment, and we usually make choices that we're not used to making. And because of those choices, we find ourselves in a place that we're just not comfortable spiritually. And we say things like, I I know where I want to be, but I'm I'm not sure how to get there. Or I want to be the, I want things to be the way they used to be. I want to feel that again. I want to be connected that way again. Our relationships, our business practices, our ethics, our church life, our church attendance, our stewardship, our involvement, they just seem to disappear. And we wish we could just make one of those phone calls to the customer service or the smart people and ask how to come back home or how to have the same kind of connections that we once had with God and admit that we are tired of living the mess, the drama. It's just too much for who we are. We tend to bounce from crisis to crisis and we're tired of the turmoil. We're tired of being alone. We're tired of being away. We want things to be just the way they used to. Ever feel that way? Spiritually speaking, there is a lot of drifting going on. And there's a lot of people saying, here's where I've landed Help me get back to where I once was. And that brings us to Psalm 85. In this piece of scripture, David had many a difficulty, many a frustration, many a stresses in his life. And because of that, he begins with these words. You showed favor 
to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity, the sins of your people, and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath. You turned from the fierce anger, your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasures toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you revive us again? What your people, uh, that your people may rejoice in you, show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, his, his followers. But let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness, they meet together. Righteousness and peace, they kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from, from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. In this section, David asks for some pretty important things. He asks to be restored. He asks to be revived. He asks to be forgiven. And he asks to be saved. Now, if you're making a list of things to ask God for, those four aren't too bad. To be restored, to be revived, to be forgiven, and to be saved. He says, you've already done that in the past for your people You forgave them, you restored them, now can you do the same to us? And maybe that needs to be our prayer today. Father God, please restore me. Get me back to where I once was. Maybe we need to pray for revival. Revive us, give us new life, give us life again spiritually. Maybe we need to pray for forgiveness and maybe we need to pray for our salvation. That's where it starts today. And here are the steps. Here's the how to do that. Here's the take home. Because if we go through these steps, chances are our relationship, our spiritual nature will be restored. It will be revived. Forgiveness and salvation is for all. And the first step is this. Begin listening to God. Verse 8 says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. And you know, that's a starting place, and I'm not talking about a literal hearing from God, but we listen to God as we read His Word, as we pray, as we digest what we read, as we meditate on what we read, as we believe what we read and put into practice what we've read. I guess the hardest thing to get people to do nowadays is to listen, think, and then respond to what they've heard. So I guess maybe that's where we start today. Matt and Lindsay blew in town Thursday and dropped off their two little ones for us to watch while they went to a wedding. And the last thing they told their two little ones, listen to Mimi and Poppy. Do what they tell you to do. And I'm thinking, hey, just listen to Poppy. Everything else will be fine. But if Mimi's going to be connected to this, okay, listen to her too. And that worked for about an hour. (laughs) And then things went south from there. But we have a tendency not to listen well, don't we? We have a tendency not to 
connect there. And we are told in Scripture that if we listen, God promises. He promises to take care of our scenario. And for whatever reason, we choose drama or we choose chaos over peace. And the Bible tells us that if we listen to God, he will bless us with a peace. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus speaking. My peace I give you. I did not give as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And then in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Anybody here not understand those words? Don't be anxious about anything. I could probably translate that and say, don't worry. Let God be God. He'll take care of things. He says, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the first step is listening to God, and we do that by reading his word. If you've just been around here for a short period of time, and you're here today, understand that reading the word is the place that we start. And I would encourage you to go not to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament, the fourth book, the book of John. And if you have never read or began to read the Bible, I would encourage you to start right there. And understanding the real nature of Jesus and the real nature of God as he presents himself to us. But it starts by being better listeners. And we're not very good at listening, are we? Not just listening, but hearing and believing and putting into practice what we have read. The second piece to the puzzle, not just listening to God, but we need to get to the place where we are quicker to abandon our foolishness. Now, no one here would like to be called foolish, would you? Oh, you're a foolish woman. Oh, yeah, well, you're a fool too. You know, we we don't like to have those kind of words come our direction. And the Bible tells us that we need to, in verse 8, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He will promise peace to his people, his saints, his followers, but let them not return to their folly, their mistakes, their sinful actions. I know we're getting close to meal time, so I probably shouldn't read this verse. But it seems to paint a picture here. Do I have any dog owners out here? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. That is kind of disgusting. Those of you who have dogs, you know exactly what the Bible's saying here, don't you? You've seen your dog do that, haven't you? And then it comes. And you say, no, because you know that same dog's going to come and lick on you pretty quick. It's kind of a weird thing, but don't return to your foolish behavior. People in the world say things like, this time, this time I won't get caught. Or they'll say, if I do get caught, nothing's going to happen to me. Or they say, so it's sin, big deal. It's just sin. Everybody sins. What's the big deal? Good news. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. 
In fact, we're told in this piece of scripture, don't do that. Don't return to your foolishness. Abandon your foolishness. Allow God to restore you. Verse 2 says, you forgave the iniquity, the sins, the shortcomings, the mistakes, the bad choices of your people, and you covered, you forgave all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and you turn from your fierce anger. Fact is, God can't and won't restore until you abandon all foolishness. We need to listen to God, we need to abandon foolishness, and we also need to take God seriously. Now, I told you folks several months ago that I was going to do my best to quit saying seriously, or, are you kidding me? But I failed miserably. And if you come to me and you've said something really, really dumb, or you've done something really stupid, probably the words out of my mouth, the first words are going to be, seriously? Seriously, you're telling me that? Or you've got to be kidding me? I have a friend who teaches special need children. She told me after first service that she has personality in her classroom that can speak sentences when they are on it, but she's been saying that word seriously quite a bit in class. So the other day when one of the kids was acting up, her other student said, seriously? I mean, it just comes out so naturally. I have a little plaque in my office that's about this big. It says, seriously, one of my friends gave it to me for Christmas, and they are not helping me quit this bad habit. So let me apologize right up front. The next time you come to me and say what you're going to say or do what you're going to do, and I say, seriously? You've got to be kidding me. I'm sorry, but it's a coming. We need to take God seriously. In fact, he says in this piece of scripture, surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory is in our land. I want to talk to you just for a moment about fearing God because I'm not sure we understand that. When we hear the word fear, it means something different to us than this word means. This word means to respect or to honor someone with such an intensity that we know they will do what they say they do. I don't think I've ever feared my dad. But I have a healthy respect for him. And I know that when he tells me to do something one time, I had better do it because I know what the consequences will be. Are you with me? There's a difference in our thought process. He is who he says he is. He will do what he promises. Why is it that so many of us approach the Christian life or the spiritual walk with this type of thinking? I will do it until it gets tough, and as soon as it gets hard, I'm out. If things don't go my way, don't count on me. That's the way we have a tendency to think. We don't take our spiritual walk seriously because it's not important to us. And because of that, we struggle with sin, we feel empty inside, and it seems like our prayers don't have much punch. And it has to do with our righteousness or our ability to live and to, to act properly. In order to survive spiritually, God must be top priority. If I could revert back to last week, God must be our big deal. If he's not our big deal, we can never have a spiritual walk that is pleasing in his sight. Anybody here ever go without eating? I mean, you're just too busy to eat. Has that ever happened to anyone? 
Never happened to me. You know, if, if I'm that busy, you know, I love traveling with our little ones because they have to eat often. And I have no problem slowing the parade to eat with them because that's just the way I do life. I love to eat. Anybody here ever been too busy to sleep? I have never. I know some of you catch up on Sundays in here, but that's not the deal. Being too busy to eat, being too busy to sleep, never been a problem for me. I always take time to do those kind of things because they're important. However, because of busyness, I would have to admit that I've let some spiritual priorities slide. Have you? We look at our schedules and we think, well, we're just too busy for that. Don't have time to read or pray today because I'm just too busy for that. Let me explain this to you. Rose Rainey, is Rosie here this morning? Rosie did all of this. This is not a part of her artwork. This is me. I did this. She did all of this, but I did this. This has nothing to do with vacation Bible school, but it's all about a point I want to drive home right now. And it has to do with how we do life. I don't know if you can see this, but there is a red mark right here, my artwork. I'm going to call it the red zone, okay? Just for fun, this is the red zone. I hate to do this again, but I need to show you exactly what I'm talking about. The average person in America lives to be 76 years old. So if you are 35, you have this much time left in the red zone. Let's say that you are 50. You have this much time left in the red zone. Are you getting my point here? Let's say that you are 60, and now 60 is the new 40, right? According to medical people, you have this much time left in the zone. If you are 70, you have this much time left in the zone. Are you with me? Now, I know I have some friends here today who are on borrowed time in the zone. But understand this, our days are kind of numbered, are they not? I mean, that seems to be what we are taught in. That seems to be the direction that we need to understand. So this, if, if, if you can imagine this rope going on forever, eternity, one leads to heaven, one leads to hell. The world teaches that the most important part of this string is the red zone. So eat, drink, and what? Be merry. The number one person in your red zone is who? Let me help you. You. It's you and only you. So whatever happens in this red zone, that's where you do life. That's where you're supposed to pour your energy. That's what the world teaches. The Bible teaches that this is important, but what you do in the red zone will determine what direction you go in eternity. And if you do things pleasing to the Father, if you listen to his word, if you abandon foolishness, if you take God seriously, you will go in a direction that points to heaven. But in the zone while you're doing life, if you don't, 
listen. If you don't abandon, if you don't take God seriously, then that road will lead straight to hell. I mean, we don't like to think that way. And One of my friends told me this is the most depressing thing he's seen in a while. You know why? He's old. And we'll all get there, won't we? And understand, as we travel, as we make that journey, it's very important how we do life. So I've got to ask you this question this morning. How are you in the zone? Are you doing well? Are you listening to God or to the world? Or are you abandoning foolishness or are you still playing the fool? Or are you taking God seriously? I mean, he is who he is and he will do what he says. You either believe it or you don't and you prove it by how you spend your time in the zone. You know, we have communion here every Sunday. And the reason we do communion is to remind us that even though this is important, our life in the zone, this is much more important. Because what we do in the zone will determine where we spend eternity. And if that means listening to God, well, we had better be better at that. If that means not doing the same foolish things over and over again, then we had better change our habits. If that means taking God seriously, I mean seriously, then maybe it's time that we do that. So maybe today as our guys prepare to bring communion your way, this juice representing the blood of Jesus, this bread representing his body, maybe they could speak to you this week. So as you take these emblems, maybe you could pray, Father God, I have not been doing well in the zone. Be with me this week and help me to do better. Help me to listen. Help me not to do the same old dumb things. And help me to take you seriously. Because sooner or later we're going to stand before God. And when our life is being reviewed, I hope he doesn't say, Seriously? You spent all that time doing that nothing. Are you kidding me? Let's pray. Father God, man, life is too short. And we know that there's a better day of coming, but we want to do all that we can while we're here and give us the ability to know what's important and what is not important in our zone. And help us to do life in such a way that brings us closer to you. Help us to be better listeners. Help us to abandon folly and help us, Father God, to take you seriously. Bless us and help us be a blessing to others. It's in your son's name I pray.